Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Neil Haney. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. So Dennis and I, uh, Dennis, kind of wave your hand back here for those who don't know you. Dennis is the other preacher. I preach uh, one week, he preaches the next, so we alternate like that. And it's been a really good, uh, yeah, that's me, uh, senior pastor, Neil Haney. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, I'm not just some old guy that just walked up here, you know, I'm actually the pastor. But um, we're beginning a new series. Uh, we just finished an 18-week series, the longest series I've ever been involved with, but it was wonderful. But we're, we're beginning a new series that we're calling Identity, Intimacy, and Destiny. And, uh, and so I, I'm super excited to kind of do the introductory sermon to this series this morning because we're going somewhere as a church. We're not just, you know, we're not just meeting on Sunday mornings and, you know, okay, that's church and see you next week. And, you know, we spend an hour and a half uh, in our week, you know, honoring the Lord and being together. And then, you know, the, under, the other 166 and a half hours, well, half of that's sleeping, but, but then the rest of it, we're just kind of doing our thing. No, we're a church on a, a mission, on a, uh, we're, we're fulfilling a, God's vision. And, uh, you know, I, uh, one, one thing I'll mention, talking about being old, uh, I will turn 63 on the 30th. Uh, Lily, my daughter-in-law, who just had our grandbaby, will turn 26 on my birthday, because uh, it's her birthday too, so we share a common birthday. Um, but on my birthday, on my 63rd birthday, I will also celebrate 25 years as senior pastor of this church. That's just mind-blowing to me. And uh, I will tell you that the first couple of years that I was senior pastor, uh, when Phil Shank, who was our senior pastor before me, many of you know him, moved on to the mission field, um, I was in a state of panic for two solid years. I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea where we were going or how to get there. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I was living in constant anxiety and, uh, uh, because I just didn't have a clue. And, and, you know, I didn't want, I, I, I was hoping no one would find out. I can tell you that, you know, 25 years later, it's okay to say that, right? Because hopefully I've learned some stuff. And I, and I believe I have, but, um, but I, re- I really believe that God is taking us somewhere. And so what, what I believe in my heart is that it's, it's as we understand our identity as we begin or as we continue to cultivate intimacy with our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father, the Spirit, as we cultivate that relationship and intimacy, and as we understand our destiny, both as a church and individually, those are kind of like the foundational stones to build on in terms of where we're going and where we end up. And, and so... Um, I just believe that as Dennis and I talk about these three foundational stones of understanding who we are in Christ, understanding who he is and how to, how to pursue him with all our hearts and get grounded in, in our relationship with him, in intimacy, deep intimacy, and then we understand our destiny, where God has taken us as individuals in our own ministries, in our lives, and, and where he's taken us 
corporately as a church, then we'll be able to, to pursue all that God has for us as a people, as individuals, and as a corporate body. Does that make sense? All right. So <clears throat> this morning, um, I, want, I want to start with a, with a, with a story, a joke that, that you guys may have heard. And, and this, uh, th- I promise, this is better than normal, okay? <laughs> Usually my jokes are pretty lame. I understand that. You know, I am a dad and a grandpa, so they get worse, I guess, as you get older. I mean, you know, grandpa jokes are worse than dad jokes, right? Anyway, this is a good joke. So, um, but it has a point. It has a point. So there's this fellow that, uh, <clears throat> there's two guys actually that work together um, at this uh, office, and, uh, and one of them was extremely, uh, I know this is not politically correct to say, but he was very henpecked. He, he, his wife just dominated his life. She bossed him around, pushed him around, just, man, she, she wore the, the, the pants and, and, and the wife beat her shirt, you know, for her. <laughs> Uh, in the family, and uh, so, uh, and and his friend was just like so, you know, kind of broken up about this. He was like, "Dude, he come to, you know, his friend would come to work and tell him stories about how she treated him." And and so one day, he was complaining about what was going on at home, and and his friend said, "Well, dude, I, there's a there's a conference this weekend on assertiveness." And I want you, I'm, I'm going to pay for you to go, and you and I are going to go to this conference and learn, you're going to learn how to be assertive and not to let your wife push you around like that. He's like, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I probably need to check with her. He's like, no, we're going. You just tell her you're going fishing or hunting or something, and you go to this conference with me. So he's like, all right, yeah, okay, I'll go. So he goes to this conference, and you know, here's the first lecture, and he's starting to starting to feel a little better, you know, and, you know, he's, the, next, the next speaker gets up, talks about assertiveness and how, you know, how you, not, you don't let people push you around, you know, and, and through the weekend, man, he just gets more and more bold and more and more, you know, just fierce, and he feels this thing rise up inside of him, so he goes home Sunday night, walks in the door, his wife says, so how was, uh, how was your trip? He said, look, he said, for years... You have pushed me around. You have bossed me around. You have, you have made my life miserable. And I just want you to know something. I wear the pants in this family. I decide what we do. From now on, I'm the boss around here. Do you understand that? And so, now it was Sunday night. He didn't see her all day Monday. He didn't see her all day Tuesday. On Wednesday, he could see her just a little bit out of this eye right here. That's right. <laughs> Preach it. Oh, my goodness. You know, um, that guy had a, had a shift in his worldview in, in a number of ways. And, and I want to I talk about something in terms of the way we see reality the way we understand who we are, because I want to talk about identity this morning. But in order to do that, i got to talk about the way we see ourselves and the world around us and our relationship with God and so forth. We, 
we've got to understand how we see ourselves and how we see the world and in, in order to understand truly who we are. And so this morning I want to, I want to talk, as I begin to talk about identity, I want to get to who we are as human beings and who we are as individual humans but I want to talk about a secret that is hiding in plain sight, and that is our worldview and how it affects everything that we experience in this life. And one of the things that Dennis and I hope to do as we, as we teach and preach through this series and the one to come after that and the ones after that is that we begin to see that, that our worldview begins to be Correct. It lines up with reality. It's it's what it's. We see things the way God sees things. Does that make sense? Paul says that we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. Jesus said, "You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free." And if the truth sets you free, then falsehoods and delusion bind you. Right? If you believe lies, you're bound. And so the enemy has really duped us, guys. He's really duped us. He's really tried to give us a worldview. And a worldview is the way we see the world. It's the, it's the lenses through, you know, the, the lenses that we see the world through. And here's the thing, I'm talking about hiding in plain sight. We're not even aware most of the time of our worldview. Our worldview is made up of assumptions about the world around us, about ourselves, about God. And those things are shaped very early in our lives. By the time we're grade school, most of our worldview has already been shaped. You know, a lot of times I, I wear these glasses because when I take them off, you guys are super fuzzy. Do I look fuzzy to you And when I take my glasses off? Because you really, I do. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Deb thinks I look better without them, but you know, it, when she met me, I didn't wear them. This happened after 40. Anyway, but... Uh, you know, most of the time when I'm wearing these, I'm not even aware that I have them on. It's funny, in the mornings I get up and I'm, I'm moving around and, and uh, I'm still trying to wake up and I'm wondering why I can't read the, like the medicine bottle or, <laughs> or uh, you know, I'll pick my phone up and I'm like, ah, that's really not very clear. And I was like, oh, I don't have my glasses on. You know, it's like sometimes we're not even aware of how we're seeing things. And, you know, uh, we're being told a lot lately how we ought to view the world. And the sources are not very reliable. I mean, political parties have their worldview. We're being taught about race and history and sexuality and politicians. And we're, we're being told constantly how we ought to view the world and how we ought to view these things that I just mentioned. And... Uh, you know, guys, we've got to have a, a Christian, godly, Jesus worldview if we're going to understand who we are and what our purpose is and who God is and how we relate to him and how he relates to the world through us. You know, when, uh, when we had a mall, uh, apparently the mall is closing this month. I, that, that really grieves me because when I moved here, it's already closed, okay? When I moved here... It was just it had just been open. It was 34 years ago, 
But that was a happening place, man. When you walk through the mall, everybody, you know, every teenager in Clark County was in the mall. And these herds, you know, moving around. You couldn't get in stores for having to make your way through crowds of, you know, of teenagers. And uh, in their 80s hairstyles. But anyway, uh, that's a whole other nightmare. I'm, I won't go into that. Talk about worldview. Whew. Um, anyway, uh, they, one day, we were, Dev and I were at the mall, and... and uh, they had this thing set up in the middle. I think it was the sheriff's department had done this. And they had these glasses that you could put on. And when you put them on, you were supposed to see the things the way people see when they're drunk. Anybody remember that? Anybody? Yeah, a few of you remember that? Yeah. So, Kim, you remember that? You must have been three. But anyway. Um, we did it in class and school. Yeah, in class and school. Okay, well, I, I wasn't in school when they did that. But anyway. So, so you put those glasses, and they have you walk the line, you know, and you're kind of doing this way, and it's like, yeah, you're, you're drunk with those things on. But, you know, I, I was thinking as I was preparing this message this morning, what if, like, for Daisy, that, that Wes and Lily became very cruel and decided that they would just put a pair of these glasses on Daisy. That's her name, by the way. Yeah, my granddaughter. And uh, Lily, Daisy, get it? You know, we're going to have a whole bouquet before we're over. Yeah, anyway. Um, <laughs> So anyway, what if they, they somehow strapped that onto her head and she just grew up looking through those lenses? Wouldn't that be horrible? Would she see the world the way it looks or the way it is? Of course not. And that's the way worldview is. It's like we don't know what we don't know. <laughs> we, we think we see reality. And yet, so often we, we don't. I, I have a story about, about this. I, I was thinking about someone with a distorted worldview. And when I was in seminary, you know, 100 years ago, um, I, the, the first, after my first semester, I started in the middle of the year, so after my first semester of seminary, uh, my parents' pastor uh, needed, his youth pastor had quit, and he needed a youth pastor for the summer. And so I went to Arkansas, to Pine Bluff, Arkansas, and uh, I was youth pastor for, for that summer, and I was petrified of teenagers. <laughs> so I, I really learned a lot that summer. But one of the things that the pastor asked me to do, and I found out later it was because he, was, he didn't want to do it himself. So you just, Seth, watch out. So anyway, um, he asked me to take this lady out to lunch. She was bedridden. She was in a wheelchair. Her name was Virginia, and everyone called her that knew her, uh, called her Miss Virginia when they were being nice. But um, she, was, she was not a nice lady. She was in her late 80s. Uh, she, she was bound to a wheelchair. So in order to take her to lunch, which I did once a month, the three months I was there, is I would go to her house, I'd help her into her wheelchair, I'd get her out, somehow get her into my car, take her to lunch, and then take her home and reverse the process, get her back in bed. It was not a good experience. Miss Virginia probably had the worst attitude of anyone I've ever known in my entire life. She was bitter. She was angry. She, all she did was sit and slander and gossip people at lunch. Her, her father had helped build the church. There was a stained glass window with his name on it and a plaque on a chair with his name on it. And, uh, and he had bought the original pulpit Bible 
And someone, after 70 years, had the audacity to replace that Bible with another Bible. And she was so bitter about that. She was just totally upset about that. And I heard that every time we went to lunch. That was half the conversation. She was eaten up with bitterness over a book that, was on a, that wasn't even used. It just sat there as a piece of decoration, really. And so uh, I was concerned about her salvation, honestly. And so I took her home the last time. It was, uh, you know, kind of mid-August, and I was only going to be there a couple more weeks. And took her home, got her back in bed after we'd had lunch. And uh, I moved her wheelchair out of the way. I knelt down by her bed, and I said, Miss Virginia, I said, I got I to ask you a question, a really, really important question. And she said, okay. And uh, I said, if you died tonight, do you know for certain that you would be with Jesus, that you would be in heaven? And she looked at me, and she spat out the words, no one can know that. No one can know that. I said, Miss Virginia, I know that. And I said, all, I just want you to know that Jesus died for you. And all you have to do is ask him to forgive your sins, to come into your heart, to be your Lord and Savior. And you too, he'll come in and you can know that if you died tonight, you would be in heaven. That you would be with Jesus. And she said to me, young man, you know it's time for, it's time for you to leave. You know the way out, and you know how to lock the door behind you. And then she rolled over with her back to me. And I walked out, locked the door, went back. By the time I got back to the church, she had called the pastor, and she said, you tell that young man never to darken the door of my home again. And in two months, she was gone. Her worldview was... Her daddy built the church, and if, you know, that had something to do with her salvation, probably, she thought, but she had no idea what a relationship with Jesus was like, or that she could have assurance of salvation. Her worldview was that screwed up, and it was so messed up that when I presented her with the truth, it was offensive to her, and she told me to get out of her house. Worldview defines our assumption about reality, what is real, what is possible. And so I want to I say this. For 80 years, for 80 years, since the, the 1930s, 40s, science has reigned supreme in the West. Science has reigned supreme. Science defines reality, especially about the origins of how you and I got here, of how the world got here, about, about everything that we see and understand around us, science has reigned supreme. And science has told us, you can just leave that, you can leave the screen off, I don't need it, thanks. Um, science has told us, what's going on? Oh, you're going to shut them off? Okay. Yeah, that is a bit distracting, isn't it? Yeah. So we don't want your worldview to be messed up by these screens here. So, are you about done? <laughs> I turned them both off. 
Okay. Uh, so, okay. Yeah. All right. So I was talking about science. Science has told us that what happened was that we, you know, there was a, there was a proton molecule in a, a swamp and lightning struck it. And lo and behold, just like Frankenstein, <laughs> when the lightning struck and his corpse came to life, that's how, we, that's how life started on planet Earth. I mean, that's, that's the theory that, that at least I heard, you know, uh, growing up. And that somehow that one cell molecule morphed into a fish, morphed into a frog, morphed into a monkey, morphed into us. And somehow we're this cosmic accident that came about because of billions of years of uh, accidents and evolution. And somebody said that's like a, uh, a tornado blowing through a junkyard and creating a 747. I mean, really, when you think about the human body, when you think about the complexity of just one thing, like, like for example, the eyeball, the fact that you and I can see each other is just an absolute miracle. The eye is so complex. What it takes for, for the... And your brain, your brain is like the, the highest computer ever created. And it's... When you open the skull, it's just a blob of flesh. But it's, it's more sophisticated, far greater than any computer that's ever been created. Someone was telling me the other day that, oh, it was, it was Putty. Putty Putman was, was talking about the, the, the creator of School Kingdom Ministry. We were at Lindsay's birthday party, and he was there, and he was talking about the human ear. He's a, he's a, he has a PhD in physics, and he's fascinated with this stuff. But he said all these curves and dips and, you know, valleys and bumps and everything that make up the outer part of our ears, he said the reason that they're designed like that is because not only can you hear sound, but because of the way that your ear is shaped, you actually know where that sound is coming from. So if you hear that, I know it's, it's coming from over here. I know it's coming from down here. It, it's, it's just the way God designed us. It's by design. But supposedly, we're just this cosmic accident. How different that is, that lens of somehow this just happened. You know, Big Bang from there, it's just like accident, 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 and suddenly we're here. How different is that from the story that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created this incredible context we call the universe in order to bring you and me into existence. I, I just, man, I, I'm, I'm going to say some things this morning that I hope, even if you've already heard them, will blow you away about who you are and why you're here. How different the lens is with a biblical worldview that's, that just stands in stark contrast to this accident theory. There's a, there's a scene from The Chosen, uh, I think it's episode four. Jesus is with John. And of course, it, actually this, the, 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 um, this episode starts out with John, uh, actually, I guess it's the first episode of season two, John is actually older now. It's after James has been uh, 
uh, martyred. He was the first martyr, his brother James, of James, James and John. And so John is beginning to write down the gospel of John. He's beginning to put to, to pen the words, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And, and he's interviewing the disciples, and it's, it's very... It's very poignant. It's very. It's very. It's a. It's an awesome scene. And uh, and then later on, uh, it's back to when you know John is first with Jesus, and uh, uh, Jesus has just had to jump on James and John for wanting to call down fire on the Samaritans that threw rocks at him, <clears throat> and and James or John is feeling pretty shameful about that whole thing because Jesus really like calls them out about it, and so. They're in Samaria still, and um, uh, Jesus has been invited by the Samaritan priest to come and to, um, to the synagogue and to share the scripture for the morning. Now, the Samaritans only had the first five books of the Bible, so Genesis, Exodus, um, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I always get uh, Numbers and Leviticus switched up, but... Um, that's, they only had the first five books. And so Jesus is, is trying to decide what he's going to read for the morning. And he's standing there looking at this, uh, this shrine with these, these scrolls, very beautiful, ornate, and everyone's waiting. And John's standing beside him, and Jesus says, what do you think I should read? And he's like, you know, you're Jesus, you're the Messiah, read whatever you think you should. And he goes, no, no, I, I really want your input on this. Which one of the scrolls should I read from? And John said, well, I just always like the beginning. I always like Genesis. Jesus said, yeah, yeah, me too. He said, in fact, uh, I really like like those opening verses of, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And Jesus says this. this is so classic. He's like, yeah. He's like, that's a really good scripture. And that's also one of my favorite memories. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, wow. And he just smiled at John, and John was just like staring at him with his mouth open. But the church in the West has been cooked in the soup of science and logic and rules out anything supernatural. Like, there can't be anything outside of time and space. There can't be anything outside of... You know, what we can put in a test tube or see, smell, touch, taste, or, or at least logically conclude. And yet, and yet God has created you and me to be his children. To be, to see, I just want to say it this way. Before the beginning, you know, that Genesis starts out, in the beginning God created. But there was a before the beginning. Because God has existed in eternity. Forever, he's, he's, he's ne there's never a time that God did not exist. And he, he wasn't some lonely old man with a long beard sitting out on a cloud somewhere in, in nothingness, totally bored and totally lonely and pining away and, and thinking, what can I do for entertainment? Maybe I'll make some humans that will just entertain me, you know? Uh, they'll, they'll be very entertaining to watch how they screw up and stumble through life, you know. I'll get some little laughs and some kicks out of that. That's not what happened. 
God always existed in relationship. He always existed in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God always existed in this love relationship. God is love. Remember that. God is life. Remember that. So love and life and this eternal, uncreated being existed in the form of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there was always love and there was always cherishing. And the Father loved and cherished the Son And on Father's Day, I can tell you, I love and cherish my boy, Wes. I love that boy. I love Lindsay. Love my children. And we've had that friendship. That, 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 I was just thinking last night, you know, about some of the things that, that Wes and I have done together. Through. I, was, I couldn't sleep last night, and I, I realized I forgot to take my evening meds, and I cannot sleep without them. So at 2 o'clock in the morning, I'm laying there wide awake going, why am I still awake? But I'm thinking about Wes. And thinking about, you know, the fact that now he has a child. And just thinking about some of the good times that we had together. And the father and the son just, I know Wes loved me. And we were buddies. We, were, we, we, we did so many things together. And, and I was just thinking about, and, and the father and the son loved each other with this incredible, incredible love that we can't even imagine. Our love pales in comparison to the love the father has for the son and the son for the father. And the Holy Spirit there in the mix, and, and, and the Spirit is, is the life that's been breathed into us. And, and, and at the end of creation, at the end of creation, God stoops down and says, okay, now I'm going to make the masterpiece. Now I'm going to make the diamond that goes in the set of the universe. I'm going to make the very thing that I created everything else as a context to put into existence, to bring into existence. And he begins not to speak, like, let there be light, let there be this, let there be that. No. When he made us, he stoops down and forms us with his hands and breathes his very spirit into us. Guys, we're different than anything else that's ever been created. On this Father's Day, let's remember that our father wanted children. And he created us in his image, in his likeness, to be like him. He loved his son, and he wanted more children. It says in Hebrews chapter 2 that Jesus suffered and died so that he could bring many sons and daughters into glory. And he is our elder brother. He came to bring us back to the Father so we could be his brothers And he is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. He loves us. Our elder brother, Jesus, loved us so much that he sacrificed himself so that we could be reconciled to the Father after Adam and Eve screwed this whole thing up. That's a whole other story. I'm not going into it. But God loves you. And let me, let me tell you something that you may never have thought of. You have never not existed in the mind and heart of God. God is eternal. And an eternal God does not make time and space decisions. Jesus and the, the, you know, the, the, the Son and the Father and the Spirit didn't wake up one day and, and, and the Father said, Hey, Son and, and Spirit, I have an idea. Let's make these people. And they'll be our children. No, that, that doesn't happen. That didn't happen that way. You and I have always existed. We've always existed in the mind and heart of God. 
He just created time and space to bring us into existence. And then when we leave time and space, we're going to spend eternity with him. Why is that important? Why is that important? You just have to know that you were no accident. You were no second thought. In fact, I have a theory. I have a theory that you and I, based on what I've read in Ephesians 1, I'm going to read that in just a moment. You and I were the number one focus of God because love is always other-centered. Love always points outward, away from self. God is love. And let me just read this for you. Ephesians chapter 1. I know it's weird to, to share the scripture for the morning at the end of the sermon and not the beginning But I wanted to set this up for you because we're just going to take it from here. Um, Ephesians 1. Listen to this. (laughs) This is so good. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That is said only about us. No other creature I don't care what it is, how big it is, how important it is, has been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, but you and me. For he chose us in Christ before the foundations of the universe were laid. That's the literal translation of that that verse. Before the foundations of the universe were laid, God had already chosen us in Christ to be his children. To be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons. And that word means like firstborn sons. You get the inheritance along with Jesus. Through Jesus Christ, in accordance with God's pleasure and will. This is not something he came up with and like, ah, oh, I think this is a good idea. It was his pleasure and will to bring us into existence. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in Christ. He created us. He created us to love us. He created us to love him. We screwed up. He sent Jesus. He straightened it all out. He brought us back to himself. And now he just lavishes his grace on us, which he has freely given us in the one he loves, in the beloved. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us in all wisdom and understanding. Guys, nothing, nothing has been a surprise to God. There was never a time that we weren't in his heart and mind. You and I are the greatest things that have ever been created. Now, I don't want us to you know, get the big head about that. But do you know that God says throughout his, entire, his word, and especially in the New Testament, that God has created us to share his glory with us? He actually says that. There's a place where it says that he won't share his glory with any man. Well, we're not going to be in this life ever as glorious 
as God. But we have the glory of God in these earthen vessels. Look it up. First, uh, 2, Corinthians, or first, 2 Corinthians 4. We have this treasure of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God in these earthen vessels. God has put himself inside of us. Read John 14. Father, Son, and Spirit live inside of us. And what we've been talking about for the last 18 weeks is that God wants to display his glory through us. And it says in 2 Corinthians 3 that we, as we behold him, as we, and we're going to be talking about intimacy. That's, that's that, the, the second in July we get into intimacy with Christ. As we behold him with unveiled faces, we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. Amen. You and I. It says in, in, in 1 John, I believe it's chapter 3, that we don't know what we will be like, but we will be like him. When we see him face to face, we will be just like Jesus. Are you kidding me? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and us in the family. Guys, Peter, you know, the, the, the apostle I talked about last time I spoke, you know, how he messed up and how, how God redeemed him, how he died, and, and, and Jesus brought him back into a place of prominence and leadership as one of the apostles. In his, in his second letter to the churches, he says, we are now participants in his divine nature through the promises of his word. We participate in Jesus' divine nature. You and I are not God, but we possess God, and he possesses us, and we are now children in his family. Man, that is mind-blowing stuff. I know it's like, again, going back to worldview and assumptions, you know, we wear these glasses, and yes, I'm a child of God, I'm a child of God, I'm a child... When you start really thinking about that, that you're a child of the creator of the entire universe and that you're going to share in his glory and participate in his divine nature and be just like the sun when we get to heaven, when we see him face to face, it'll be like more like looking in a mirror. We don't know what we'll be like, but we know we'll be like him. Wow, really? Like the son of God, the the creator, the one who participated and created the, the universe, we're going to be like him? Yeah. We're going to share in his glory? Yes. Romans 8 says that we're going to be, we're, we're going to be co-heirs with Christ. Co-heirs with Christ who has inherited everything. Guys, you are incredible. I am. C.S. Lewis said it this way, and I'm, I'm going to close, I think, with this. C.S. Lewis said this. There's a, there's a sermon, uh, it's the first sermon, it was a series of sermons in a book called The Weight of Glory. And the first sermon in, in that, the first chapter is called The Weight of Glory. And, and uh, it talks about heaven and it talks about why we were created and it talks about um, what we can expect heaven to be like. And the last thing it says, as, as C.S. Lewis wraps up the sermon, he says this, you and I have never met a mere mortal. When we 
When we meet each other, when we greet each other, when we interact with each other, when we play with each other and work with each other, and we are interacting with creatures that if we could see them in their future state would be a horror so unbelievable that you would only see something like that in a nightmare, talking about those who don't go to heaven. Or a creature so glorious, so divine that you would be tempted to bow down and worship. Talking about the heirs of God, the the co-heirs of Christ, those who will be in heaven, those who will inhabit the new earth, I should say. And he says, it is with immortals that we joke with and play with and mistreat (laughs) and interact with on a daily basis. And we should never take that for granted. He says, I believe that you can think too much about the weight of your own glory. But I don't believe it's possible to think too much about the weight of the glory of those that you interact with every day. You and I are immortal, eternal creatures created in the image of God. And we have a destiny that if we, if, we, if we could see it, we wouldn't believe it. And guys, we're, we're just going to unpack this. Next week, Dennis is going to talk more about identity. And then we're going to talk about the intimacy that we can have with, with Jesus, with, with the Father and the Spirit. And then we're going to talk about what we were created for and where God wants to take us as immortal creatures, as sons and daughters of the living God who are who are immortal, and who carry the glory of God within us. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about our church, visit vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge.